And if they're at all happy where they are and what they've become, from selling out to doubling down, let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here is your host, Bill Florio. Hey, this is Bill Florio. Yo, this is MC Charlie Boswell. Hey, it's Dave Harrison. We got Craigums today from the Love Songs. He, you know, he says he's an audio engineer, but we barely talked about that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I love the episodes where we don't know what people do at all. And then by the end of it, we learn a lot of amazing things, but and still don't know what they do. We knew we played air guitar. That's true. We learned a lot about air guitar. I have any idea. I mean, he does, he does basically have a recording studio in his basement and he uses it and he makes money from it. But we heard that's about not that what before this episode from, is about. <laughs> one of our guests before talked about that. That's right. That is not what this episode is about. I've known Craig for a million years and like, he's a guy who like, he just says yes. And he just does things because it might be a good experience. And sometimes he makes money. Sometimes he doesn't. How did you meet him, Bill? Uh, well, cause Charlie and I just knew this guy, Charlie, that was in animal crackers. And then he was in rejuvenate. And then he joined Charlie Oily epidemic, Eat. Charlie epidemic. He, he joined rejuvenate the band where they got the, uh, the pneumonia. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, he, he just passed. Uh, Jerry Smiley. He's the guy that got pneumonia. I thought he got I'm sorry, pneumonia. It must have been a serious case. Yeah, he became a monk, I believe. Uh, not Charlie. Charlie became a uh, uh, acupuncturist or something. Anyway, but Charlie moved to Bay Area. Bay Area. He joined All You Can Eat because he was kind of a silly guy. And we bug outside. He hooked up with them, played some shows. And when Craig joined, we played. Uh, I think we played another show when Craig was in there. But silly bands like have to like stick together. Adam McCrack is one of my favorite bands. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, you know, All You Can Eat toured like every continent. I, we didn't even mention Craig wrote a, a book about going to Antarctica, but he didn't go with the band, I don't think. Oh, yeah, but we anyway. didn't talk about that. That's actually some of the research. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Get him back on here. We're talking about it now. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's there's so many people we know that... They played a show in Antarctica? No, no, they, but they played a show. They, they were like one of the first American bands to play in Japan. And I, I believe All You Can Eat, um, the first... The Not before Cheap to, Trick or Kiss. No, no, but I'm saying for punk bands. And like the second time they went, like no effects went with them because they were afraid they were going to get screwed or something. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they just, they kind of like, they were pioneers for like, just like do just going into places. No one, no one ever wanted to go like South America. So what America Black Flag and, did for touring in punk rock touring in the U S they did international everywhere else. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, they're great guys and they're a really good band and really funny. Um, and they put out a million split singles um, so I, you could just feel like, well, I mean, part of it was probably like being able to pay for more than one song at a time. But the other part is like, hey, you know, like, let's do a split with this band we like and stuff like that. So there's just this kind of like scene within the San Francisco scene of like people who are really silly, yet like really, really uh, warm hearted and, you know, 
earnest and you know just great people and, and like that's why i go there at least once a year there's there's so many like cool people out there so let's roll the tape all right craig uh we usually start this out by you introducing yourself and telling everyone what you do for a living okay i should have wrote that down <laughs> no notes <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to wing that then. Action, action. Hi, I'm Craig, and I am an audio engineer. What are you? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so Craig, I feel like you are more than an audio engineer. Sometimes, at least historically, and from what I understand, you have two kinds of jobs, like actual jobs where you know you work places that you know in normal ways, and you got them normal ways, and then there's stuff that you just like. Shit you did for fun that turned into income streams. Does that sound Everybody right? Lost me at income streams. So like you you did something just just to to waste money or <laughs> waste time, and you ended up getting paid for it. Uh, I'm not sure which ones are which things. Uh, <laughs> I think we could all uh, agree that most of them have been losing propositions as far as money goes, um, which is inversely proportionate to the uh, personal fulfillment factor. But uh, I did have a, a legit job when I turned 40, and that lasted six years. Uh, okay. Everything else has been uh, by the seat of my pants. Okay, so so let's let's just let's just get through. So the the one I'm thinking of is joined up with you performed air guitar, and then and that ended up becoming a job. Does that sound correct? All right, yeah, I wasn't sure which avenue you're going to go down. I wasn't sure what uh, on the scale of ridiculosity. Uh, well, I, I, well, that's what I'm asking. Is like, is there something more ridiculous than that? Actually, or, probably not. There's probably okay. no- so. Let's start there. <laughs> let's think. We'll let's probably end there yeah. too. <laughs> I'm sure we will. <laughs> unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. <laughs> so, well, I I didn't. There's no cool way to lead into this. So, I will say that um, there was an air guitar competition that came through San Francisco back in the mid aughts. And I got a bunch of people sending me the entry form, the online entry form, as if it was something I would be interested in. I don't know. You don't know me. So they, they saw Air Guitar and they all thought Craig. Yes. Uh, and then it was later stated that uh, I play guitar like I play Air Guitar. So I'm not, I'm not sure if that creates any sort of visual. Um, it turns out that I was, much, uh, I was much more technically proficient with the Air Guitar than with the uh, their guitar, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was a lot more sloppy with the real guitar. Anyway, uh, what happened was I joined this air guitar competition with very little, actually absolutely zero expectations other than like a decent night out. And I won that first competition, which then upped me to the next level of competition. I won that. And then I kind of snowballed from there. Did you change your song? Uh, I didn't. That first year, I did not change my song. Very, came out of nowhere. Um, it started, my first one was a... Um, Carlos Montoya, like flamenco piece mashed up with a Metallica song. And then Carlos uh, Montoya, that's the guy from the beer commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't think so. I think he's long dead, if I'm not mistaken. I think he predates beer commercials. He doesn't predate uh, beer, though. Probably not. He's not that old. Is anyone that old? (laughs) No, I don't think so. I think beer (laughs) predates music. (laughs) (laughs) It might have even led to it. But what happened was in winning these competitions uh, and and being part of that community, which very much resembled the punk rock community in that it was just people uh, out to 
express themselves creatively and physically and uh, with no promise of any sort of like, you know, monetary reward. It was purely art for art's sake and for performance sake. And, uh, and I completely was sold by that. Even more than like if a band gets together, they practice, they write songs, they play shows, and it kind of like works up, builds up from there. But a lot of these air guitarists that I was competing against were people who just sat by themselves for like 364 days trying to come up with this like 60 seconds of performance. And there was something like really magical about somebody just like so committed to just like, again, like a, a fruitless art form. Um, and so uh, when you put a lot of people like that together, it becomes a very like a supportive community. And I just really bought into that just like I did with like a, the punk rock community. It was just all about like, like meeting people who inspired you and having like a really good laugh with them. And then at, at some point in the night, you got to perform for a little bit. Are there, uh, Craig, are there clicks within the air guitar scene? Like, are there like the hair metal guys and they don't really like the guys that, and the women who do like a different style of music? Is it, is it kind of like LARPing? I think it's more like a, like Sioux Falls, South Dakota kind of scene where there's just, there's not enough people to make it click. <laughs> <laughs> it's very narrow. So you signed an exclaimer that says, if I win this and I have to go to like a national, I have to pay to get there? And actually, when you win, sorry, I'm going to do my best never to say actually before I say something because I can wear my glasses <laughs> push them up as a thing. But there, if you win, then you are um, uh, all expenses paid, as it were. Oh, so it's already much better than punk rock, then. You know, <laughs> as I learned, uh, I made probably that was the second highest paying job I ever had. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 performing was not the job. Yeah, uh, eventually, no, right? It, it was a. I was competing, competing, and then at a certain point, when I uh, bowed out of competing, I was so enamored by the community. And I was already roadworthy. I became the tour manager for the competitions for many years. And that became kind of like my main source of income. How did that happen, though? Like, did you apply for that job? No, I think I'd just been part of it and got to know... Because I, I won in the early days, I was very... Uh, became in, co came in close, close contact with the commissioners of the sport. Uh, <laughs> All right, at least one person snickered when I said sport. <laughs> I'm taking you very seriously with this, Craig. Well, that was the thing about air guitar was that uh, it's people who take the joke very seriously. That was kind of like our our byline. But uh, so I, I I got in really close with the guys who started the whole thing, in at least in the U.S. And so by and and I was totally game to do whatever. So the first year I won. I remember my first competition, just to give you an idea of what the organization was like. And my first competition, which was in that San Francisco competition, the at the end of the night, uh, a very drunken man came over to me with a sheet of paper that was like obviously like an inkjet printout, but like beer had spilled over it. So most of the ink had already smeared off the page. And it was my certificate for winning. <laughs> He's like, congratulations, man. You're going to the top. <laughs> very like, clear. Is this a bill? What is this? <laughs> And that man was Kirk <laughs> So anyway, I, got, I became good friends with the with those guys. And I'd already been like the, during this whole time for those first couple of years that I was competing, I was also touring regularly and they knew that. And so it sort of became kind of a no brainer that like, hey, Craig, do you want to try and step in and do this? Because the old tour manager was uh, had all of the problems 
that you get with the trappings of being a tour manager, including drugs and theft. Somebody else had to step in. And since I was- And used, you were used to it. I was used to that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was used to it. So this feels like most most sports, though, you become like a coach or a manager after your playing days are over. So it's very similar in that sense, it seems it, like. I, I guess it is similar. I'm more uh, like owned a team or something. Uh, you know, I'm no more sports analogies for me. I'm is out. it even I'm possible? Out. Is it possible to be a coach for air guitar? Uh, I mean, you can coach people. I don't know why anyone would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I once judged an air guitar contest. Which one? Where? At Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. They requested that I be a judge, and I almost made money doing it because some guy tried to bribe me. <laughs> and, and, and I tried to take the bribe, but then these student government types were like, no, 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 we can't take bribes. And I'm like, I can take a bribe. I was no student government. What was the name of the person who won? It was, was a sorority. I don't know. Alpha something dumb. <laughs> A bunch of freaking <laughs> oh, so it was like multiple sororities against each other. It was just like fraternities, fraternities, and people that just got a group together and thought they were some heavy metal type of jerks and some hair metal things. And but I tell you this, you can't build beat a bunch of sorority girls doing uh, the Lion Sleeps Tonight. <laughs> Is there guitar in that song? Didn't matter. They were freaking sorority girls. You know, at the time, there were very few girls that rents their polytechnic institute. I can tell you that. Okay, I believe. But that. no, but honestly, the, I mean, I gave them a zero for that myself as a judge. But they did come off with their second uh, one, but it was was pretty funny. They did. Uh, uh, we are the world. Does that have guitar? No. <laughs> but but somebody, some one of those girls was dressed up like Willie Nelson, and that was funny. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> okay. All right. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> we've had some people get, uh, we've had a Thrilly Nelson, I believe was one of the, uh, <laughs> it was probably the same girl. <laughs> Did you ask her if she was an engineer? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his name is Brock, and I did not ask him. Bill, you remember when we did that air guitar show? Yes, that's true. We we opened for the uh, Bobby Steele No Band Band. No, it was, yes, and, 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 and yelling at people for yelling about complaining about his computer. <laughs> he had a sweet MIDI setup at the time. He had a floppy drive. <laughs> it was a floppy drive. <laughs> Don't you remember yelling, "Get a hard drive!" <laughs> like, who's gonna pay for it? I saw Corey Feldman play at a strip club once, and before the sh before he started playing, he also went on stage about two hours late. He had a PowerPoint set up where it had different slides that said like all of his accomplishments, and uh, <laughs> the crowd was waiting for him to come on. It was also incredibly hot. Um, someone yelled, "Let's get this PowerPoint started!" And that was the best part of the show. <laughs> I once tried to see that movie with the two Corys, but, but it, like Dream a Little Dream or License to Drive. I don't know. It was one of those two Corey movies, Corey Feldman and Corey Han. Yeah. Well, I went, and this is the one that closed the day after it opened because I went the day after it opened and it was closed already. Like it failed? It only lasted one day in the theater. It was the end of the Corys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another thing is the Air Guitar World Championship is always in Finland. Is that right? That's true. It is in the city of Oulu, Finland, which is the north of Finland. Had you been to Finland before Air Guitar? I had. <laughs> Interesting. Twist. <laughs> uh, who'd have thunk? No, no, you you played there though. You didn't just go right. Yeah, we we played there. right for fun. For fun, not for money. We've already established. That. But did the Air Guitar League originate in Finland? It did. It started in Finland. A bunch of uh, college kids from the university in Oulu, Finland. Probably in a sorority. <laughs> <laughs> it's a large backstory. It can be found online. And I wouldn't do it justice if I tried to retell it. So wait, 
I just feel like Finland is special. Is that right? Finland is very special. Their love of the absurd is unrivaled. And I, I think a lot of people don't know that, but they're very self-aware and very absurd, but they're also very understated in the way they communicate. So you just don't realize it until they're also known for getting drunk twice in one day. Those might be related. Yeah, no, I, I hung out with some Finns in San Francisco once. I think they were both named Yoni, but spelled differently. And uh, we went to the incredibly strange wrestling show. Like they, I think, I think they might have flown to San Francisco to see the incredibly strange wrestling show. Um, and then on the way there, they were like, "Hey, can you? We have to stop. Can you go to a supermarket for this?" Blah blah blah. blah. And I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" So we're like, "Look," and then I was like, "I don't think they have that in this country." And he's like, "No, no, no. Well, they have it." Blah blah blah. blah. And then and, and so we walking down and find, and they were looking for pomade. <laughs> <laughs> they both, and then they both, you know, like pomaded themselves and then they were ready for wrestling. But I just, and I, I met another fin Finnish hardcore band in New York and the guy said the weirdest thing to me. He said, uh, every time I think of New York, I think of that book, The Cross and the Switchblade. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why did you read that in Finland? I always heard that the, that the Finns were greatly affected by anyone who grew up, like when they grew up during the Cold War because they were always afraid of the USSR like invading them. So it made them... Do they fight them with humor, though? <laughs> I don't think they fought them at all. I think they were like, weren't they like Russian and then they were Swedish and then they were Russian I think and they're they, Swedish? They fought, they fought the, in World War II. In World War II. Before, yeah. before World War II. The winter, the winter War, winter I think. War, yeah. yeah. Okay. I just feel like they, they like mooned them and ran. So, so, Craig, did you go run to the theater to see Heavy Trip like I did? I downloaded it right away. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> They're, they're, again, that's a great example of like a uh, Finnish sense of humor because it's really subtle and they don't like, you know, pause for laughter or like really like ham fist you with those jokes. But it's, it's just like, it's a lot of heart. It's very understated and it's, uh, and it's great. Did you like it? I loved it. it yeah. It was, it, I, I watched, I think I've, I've watched it more than most other or mockumentaries I've seen. <laughs> it's a great band book. Have you seen it, Dave? No, I haven't. I just looked it's it up while awesome. you were talking about it. It looks great, though. Yes, it's You watch great. it more than other Finnish movies you've seen? I don't know if I've seen any other Finnish movies. <laughs> so then it would be number one in the Finnish movie. Category. It's my number one Finnish movie by far. There's a great joke where the dad, so like one of the guys in, in the, the death metal band, the reindeer grinding death metal band, uh, his dad, of course, doesn't approve of his lifestyle. And uh, his dad runs a like reindeer rendering plant or something and as such he's lost a bunch of his fingers and and so like at a certain point in the movie it, it, there's like a pivot and the dad finally recognizes the value of what his son's doing and so as his son goes off to play like the big concert the dad waves but he's he's missing all of his fingers except for the devil horns <laughs> <laughs> i did not catch that <laughs> All right. I think I, I'm just saying, I, I feel like if the Finland tourist board wants to buy a commercial, this would be it. <laughs> I know some people that led to more work where uh, once I made it to the Finnish level, I became friends with the, all of the people who organized there. And they ended up hiring me as a representative of Finnish culture. So I would get sent all over the world to do air guitar at what were like conventions of sorts. Like I went to China a number of times and to do air guitar. And that was a place where, at least the places where I went to do it, where I could honestly say that I did something that people had never seen before. Like they had never witnessed anything like that. And it's it's rare in life that you can go somewhere and do something like that. Who were you and, working uh, for? The, the like 
country of Finland. Like, like so the, the people who would buy the commercial. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, man. That's pretty awesome. How, how do people react when they see this air guitar they've never seen or heard of before? Well, I'm fully committed when I do it. And I think that that's the only thing that sells it. Otherwise, it would be like, what is this horse shit? That's but, what happened when we play Queen's Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, Queen, the well, Queen's Day have a, a Finland tent? No, we played the Jackson Heights. <laughs> Jackson Heights. It was just you and a bunch of food carts. <laughs> no, no. It was, it was us and then like these real estate dealers and a Kung Fu exposition. Dave, Dave, don't deny Jackson Heights culture. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so Craig, when, when you were in China, I, I had this happen to me. Did you have random people come up to you on the street and just take pictures with you and hand you babies? It happened to me at protests. <laughs> <laughs> I did have that in, in a number of ways. I remember I, I went to India. And I was uh, followed around because they thought I was Tom Cruise. <laughs> a line of, went at the at the Taj Mahal specifically, a line formed to get my picture and autograph. <laughs> <laughs> so it should so, say that the only resemblance I have to Tom Cruise is my height. <laughs> it sounded like NASCAR. Now, I, so were there other promotions you got through the air guitar? Yeah, lots. I just did tons of them. I, one of them, which was really fun, was they sent. So this uh, jukebox company that would have like a like a t- uh, a bar top jukebox type thing, uh, they wanted to promote. So there was this thing called the Coin Operators Convention that happens every year in Las Vegas, and it's where people, if you have like video games or pinball machines or anything you'd find like in a bar or a Dave and Buster's or something like you know uh, bounce houses and pool tables, uh, like anything you'd put a coin that into. Sounds better than that fancy food convention. Yeah, totally. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. The best. We got put up for a week. And all we had to perform, I had to perform three routines. That's three minutes of work for five days of pay. And the rest of the time I got to hang out in like a convention center sized arcade where everything was free. (laughs) (laughs) And I got paid very handsomely to be there. So yeah, the only thing more ridiculous than air guitar are the things that befell me having one. (laughs) You probably could have stayed in Vegas full time and just like made a living off of that. Like Pete Rose. <laughs> Gambling on other guitarists. <laughs> well, no, and that would have happened if you took the bribe. <laughs> Wait, I, I heard that you, you got paid to wear a Boone's Farm t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. So that was another thing that we, we would try to get sponsors. And who's going to sponsor Air Guitar? <laughs> but, well, so, but once you find them, who's going to sponsor it twice? <laughs> Uh, but because what what the the competitions i know that whatever you envision the competition it's it's uh what it actually is is three parts it's one part uh comedy show one part uh sporting event and one part like concert and so and then round that all off with three judges who are just who are usually like comedians or actors or writers like people who are ostensibly make the show even more fun like commentary and then you have a host who's also like trying to make things fun and whatever and so it gets really a reverent and all that kind of stuff. So one year we had um, Cuervo was our sponsor and they were just, oh, they, they gave us bullet points and you couldn't like mint their words. You had to say all these specific things. It was just horrible. We had to put up all the <laughs> signage everywhere. It was like, it was like the worst corporate. Wait, Dave, it, this is what you do for a living. This is what I do. Well, if they were, You're the guy if with they the were, bullet points. Well, if they were a member of Discus, they have to follow certain rules. So there's like a whole agreement on like how you can represent your brand. And you have to make sure that like the crowd is a certain percentage of legal drinking age. It has to be over 80%, I believe, which it obviously would be in this case because it would probably be in a bar or a club. But uh, yeah, it's 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 what kills being able to do anything fun with liquor brands. Yeah, well, I mean, it didn't... Uh 
it only lasted one season. We'll just jump to there. But um, uh, and then we met Boone's Farm, <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, they were they were the exact opposite of that. They could not have cared less, and we were just constantly like Boone's Farm, where you get diabetes before you even get drunk. <laughs> Boone's Farm never stop drinking responsibly, and, and like just like really like taking the piss out of them the whole and they would send like reps out across the country to like you know make sure we were doing that and we just made fun of them the whole time and they loved it they absolutely loved it wait a minute boone's <laughs> farm has reps across the country <laughs> they're all different people <laughs> one, one person that they're putting in like a kia and like sending them around the country but no it was a and and when we loved it it was a perfect marriage and they were super into it and it really kind of fit the brand because it was I mean, like everyone's like oh boone's farm i remember them from high school you know it already takes them back and uh, and so uh, one of the things they did was but don't a lot of these wines have reps across the country? I see them on the street all the time. I tried to do fun stuff. I worked uh, I worked for Rianiti. Remember Rianiti? They were mentioned in a Beastie Boys song, a bunch of other yeah. And uh, it was Rianiti on Ice, so nice. And we tried to do uh, we tried to do a thing with them. I remember the commercials. Yeah, we tried to do a whole thing around because there was they were mentioned in a bunch of old uh, hip hop songs, and uh, we tried to do something with them, and they were and they were like no, and we ended up having to do they were sponsoring minor league hockey around the country, so their their reps would all have to go to different minor league hockey games and like nothing's more depressing than minor league hockey <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what wine is it that's um that um uh supports the people living on the street with wine bottles <laughs> i don't know that's a sounds like an avenue i mean for, that's uh, their that's their marketing promotion. campaign well it seems to be i see it all the time well, yeah, it's Boone's Farm. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I said. I, mean, I, 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 I don't think Mad Dog has quite as many reps. <laughs> or Thunderbird? Or Thunderbird. They have a lot of reps. Boone's Farm is, is like the one the sorority girls would try, I think. Yeah, because every flavor is like strawberry this or watermelon this. Or blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Yeah, blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Right? <laughs> yeah, totally. But So I remember they... Um, they get at the beginning of this uh, of this one season. So the season lasts a few months, right? And you go you know, all over the country and whatnot. And so they gave us a T-shirt. And to this day, it's one of the most comfortable T-shirts I own. It's like whatever that weird cotton and it's already kind of worn or whatever. Anyway, it was a comfortable T-shirt. So I already would have worn it. But if we, anytime we appeared in print or on television in like visual media, we got a $500 check for wearing that shirt. <laughs> And so air guitar at that point was pretty like high stakes. So we had um, press agents and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we were like every city you pull in, like get me every newspaper, every TV <laughs> outlet or whatever. And by the time like that, just on that money that paid for my whole wedding and our honeymoon. <laughs> Dave, Dave, so wait, Dave, is that, is that an accurate like marketing campaign way to do it? Like did they, did he get underpaid? No, no, no. I mean, I think he, he got paid very well, but I mean, I think that that is, you know, we, we do this with brands all the time. We sit down and we figure out who their target audience is. We figure out what that target audience likes besides that brand or could potentially be into. And you start looking at strategic partners and you figure out a partnership with either an event. I mean, it's... it's. No, I think he's asking if you pay people $500 to get the, the in print 
with a t-shirt. That sounds like oh, yes. we pay people to st- we pay people to stay at hotels all the time and and take a friggin' Instagram picture of their breakfast. Yeah, it happens all the time. So you're saying like, well, what happens if you get on like the front page of the newspaper with the shirt on like that? Um, I mean, if it's written to the contract, I mean, there's negotiations where they figure out exactly what you know. For some influencers, if they if they get a certain amount of impressions on a post that they put up on Instagram, I mean, if they they might get a bonus. Fire Koreans owes me a lot of money. Yeah, yeah they surely missed out here, Charlie. Didn't get your contract right. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also, I mean, there's, 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 there's quote unquote news programs that are all just pay to play opportunities. Like I, I won't name any particular ones, but there are certain like daytime talk shows and stuff where anytime a brand is mentioned or anything like that was paid, you know, there was a lot of money paid and, and that changed hands for that to happen. And it's not put in as an ad. It's totally just a, to even show up or be used. It's a huge dollar commitment. So, so I mean, Craig, I think this is a big commercial for just trying stupid shit because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying it because I thought I would get a nice, comfortable T-shirt out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was just doing it because, like, you know, up to that point in my life, I just chased whatever seemed the dumbest thing to do, which, I I mean, Bill. That's just that's just how you we were see eye born, to eye though. Uh, yeah, no, I, no, we're all on that page i think i uh, you know that's why you're here craig <laughs> did record labels craig did record labels ever approach like the top oh, air guitar yes. people and try and get them to use their songs no no i have craig's record <laughs> how many know. copies of, are there, of that record are there <laughs> i don't know either 500 or a thousand <laughs> and what's on it it's blank <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Devin put that out, right? Uh, Devin and Max. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a yeah, Devin and Max. So and it's silence. Five, there's nothing else on it. There's no. There's no yeah, grooves. There's grooves. It's just flat. <laughs> I got a pillage people tape that was blank once. <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the better version. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But Bill, you went to see that and you loved it. No, they were the worst band I've ever seen. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the air guitar competition. Oh, yeah, no. I well, I was there when Craig won that with that you first said time. It was the greatest thing you, you you like called me up to tell me that it was the greatest thing you saw. And you and you never like maybe once a year you'll call me up and tell me something <laughs> like that. And you know you know why that is? Because I don't care. <laughs> well, I I, I I you're totally right. Well, I mean, I feel like you almost died, Craig, that first time. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. I did almost die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I feel like you were sticking your crotch in Gavin McGinnis's face. Mm, yes. But uh, on, a, on a wet, on a wet little wobbly table. And then you d- fell backwards and l- like hung from the balcony from the, your legs while you're air guitaring. So, I mean, like no one else was going to, w- w- was willing to do that. And, and you were like last up, I think. Right. So like everyone else had, it was like in the finals, explain the finals just so that we understand the, what you were up against at, so the, the, at this national championship in New York. This was the national championships. So this is the people from all the other regions all the winners. So it was like the... the There's like, like dance moms then, right? Uh, the, I think that reference is lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of Abby Lee Miller? Sorry. There's going to be a lot of links in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so this is the this is the national level competition. So everyone who's won previously is now congregated into this one competition. The competition is two rounds. The first round, every competitor gets 60 seconds to do whatever they want. The, whatever song they want in whatever style. They don't even have to do a song. A guy got up on stage and took a dump in a pizza box and then ran out the back door. You can do whatever you want. Seriously. I saw that at the Guggenheim one. <laughs> Did he run like all the way down got- like the spiral? 
but I think he got paid a whole lot more money. <laughs> so we're going to bring it down in class a couple notches back to this air guitar. And so the that's the first round. And then the top five scores from round two go from round one go to round two. And round two is the compulsory round where you are given a song. And so you can't prepare for it. It's just what what do you have in your back pocket? What are you comfortable doing? And I think this is where and I remember, Bill, we had this conversation at the at the Boneyard in Brooklyn way back when uh, where I I was kind of like thinking back on it and you were, you were kind of prodding me and I realized, oh yeah, it was totally years of like playing in front of people who couldn't care less and like, what what do you need to do to like get their intention and make sure everyone's having a good time? Like, how far will you go? And I've already, <laughs> I was well seasoned with that mentality. And so by the time uh, I hit round two, I was second place, which means I went second to last. So that means the three people before me already did like all the cool stuff. So I was left with little to do. Either I was going to like, I don't know, break a bunch of bottles. Like, like, like the guy before you, like he, he had like a what do you call it? An ironing board in the crowd. And he jumped on it and was like riding the crowd like a surfboard. It was like, yeah, the, I mean, it was hard. Was the, it was a tough competition here. Yeah. And that, that guy was, he went by the name William Ocean. And I believe he was surfing, surfing the William Ocean on his ironing board. Um, but he, that was his audience. Like that audience was like 30% people he knew. And that was a lot of people who wanted him to win and didn't want anyone else to win. So that was a, uh, another added uh, uh, obstacle. But yeah, so then I went and it, so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go straight to the judges and do whatever I did there. So that was up in the balcony and I ended up like, I, I forgot, I did spill a drink on Gavin McInnes and then push my crotch into his face. So if uh, culturally, uh, air guitarists uh, picked a side of the fence, we've picked that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I think I fall off the balcony or something. I don't know. You did a, not fall what was off the, the balcony of the, the What was the song? The song, it was Inner Sandman. So it's kind of an easy one. You kind of already know, you know, everyone was already familiar with it. It wasn't obscure. So that made it a little easier as well. But yeah, and then I, and then I ended up winning by a very narrow margin and the people, uh, Bill, one of the only four people there that I knew <laughs> and who were supporting me and who were the only people that applauded me winning. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, it, was, it was all these like hipsters from Brooklyn who were just real bummed out their friend didn't win. And he, and he uh, I mean, by all accounts, I believe he was the better person and did the better <laughs> uh, better performance. I just happened to win by virtue of numbers. But, but, you, but you'd, 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 risk, you'd risk your life for real music before because I seem to remember there's a story about a tour of the Philippines on two motorcycles with, with, <laughs> uh, yes, Nardwar. Uh, there is that. <laughs> where we were on tour and we had to get from point A to point B. And the only way to do that was by those, uh, little like moped tuk tuk, like two person tuk tuk, like sidecar motor cars. And so our party of whatever it was seven or eight had to split amongst four of those little motorcycles. And the unbeknownst to us, they, the drivers had made a bet <laughs> as to who would get there first. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're on some like, I don't know, northern, like rural Philippines at, at the middle of the night with four guys racing with no lights. And uh, I remember we were, we watched one of the one of our four cars with like a couple of uh, the other guys uh, go off the road into the bushes, like into the trees, and that was that. It was like Mario Kart or something. So, how did you play the show? I, th I think we had a couple more days to, to before we had a show. So, you were able to get new new members of your band before that? <laughs> Perfect. We all showed up at the destination miraculously. And all of us had like tears dried, that salt stain coming out of the corners <laughs> of your eyes, you know, <laughs> like just equal parts, 
hysteria, fear, excitement, thrill, and just all I remember looking. So Devin, who uh, is a mutual friend of Bill and I, were in the same tuk tuk. And that's yeah, right. Well, and we Bill, not me. <laughs> and it, we just, I remember looking at him and just like, you know, just that weird crying. Like I, I, it's such a, I think you only see people act that way in movies when they're put in these like extreme situations or like either war movies or something like that. Or like, you know, the final scene of Goonies or something. I don't know, something like that. And um, yeah, it was very harrowing, but it was also <laughs> very enriching. I felt that I felt alive, man. <laughs> I think, I think a couple that's of that's weird because that other, it's just really weird because that other bill gave me a really hard time when I suggested we see Goonies. <laughs> what? What give well, you a hard the, the, time about that? <laughs> Bill. Not me. <laughs> but, you know, why is it that it seems like it's amazing how many times we have stories about people riding motorcycles on an island on this podcast? That's true. That's very strange. So you also were, you were the actor in the rock band video game. Did that come from the air guitar or was that a separate ridiculous thing? Uh, it, it, it was mostly air guitar. So the, it did like, it was definitely a, my boss at the time was who was marveling at all these stupid things that kept happening to me slash for me. And he's like, you know, you think you're just taking these like, oh, this seems like a ridiculous thing. Let's veer off on this branch. And then after you, uh, you have enough of those behind you, you look and it was a relatively straight line that connected all of those things. And this was this was another example of that where uh, yeah, doing band stuff and, and gendered me to performing and doing the air guitar, which then kind of like helped me win in that world. And that led to like doing the rock band video game because they saw this guy who could, you know, physically embody. Well, they, they didn't want someone who technically played guitar, right? They, it was like a if you were in a karate film, right? The person who does like the karate that's like most outrageous and like moving, flailing your arms and legs around. Like it's not the guy who like grabs you by the Adam's apple and crushes it and like you don't see <laughs> it right? right so you're actually more qualified for air guitar and for rock band than someone who was actually who actually played one of the songs well they did a a first open or not open but the first auditions um and so they, they already knew they had a, a kind of like a cadre of people that they were already pulling from and i was in that but i was the only one that was on the west coast and so they they passed me up and i remember i was in a car driving to las vegas when i when i got the call that like now we're gonna go with the local guy and that was the first time in my life possibly one of the only times in my life where i was like damn it that was the only job I was actually qualified to do. <laughs> so, so what happened? The guy like crashed his motorcycle or something? <laughs> no, I, th I think he just didn't uh, do uh, like measure up to what they were hoping for or expecting. So they, uh, another guy that was in the organizations like kept pulling. He's like, get this air guitar guy, get this air guitar guy. So they flew me out and uh, flew you out to where? Flew me out to New York in Manhattan. And um, there's like a big motion capture studio there. And I'd be in between like sessions of like Tom Hanks and stuff, you know? And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was awesome because in there, the, the guys that started the game rock band were the guys that started Guitar Hero and they, Guitar Hero became too restrictive. So they wanted to start their own company with their own game that could do more. And so that then they started rock band. So they were already like uh, immersed in the video game and music world. And the two directors, the guys who started the company, who are also the producers on the, in, on the set where I was doing the acting were, uh, they would give me like, we, we just spoke. So just like confirming how this was the job I was meant to do. They would be like, on this one, we need more. Less King, more Hanneman. <laughs> like, you got it. I'm there. Sure, let's do it. Roll it. Roll it. Sorry, my TV turned on. Uh, 
What, what show was on? I don't know. It's like, it looks like it was for little kids. So, Can't uh, miss your stories, Bill. We usually, we, just, we usually don't get sociopolitical here, but do you have an opinion on the effect of uh, rock band and, and guitar hero on actual rock? Oh, yeah. It's total. I'm, I... I can see where people would have misgivings about, you know, it's it's like a, I don't know, akin to maybe an American Idol where it's like fast tracking people to think that they're talented in whatever they're doing. But honestly, how many kids today know about, um, uh, oh my gosh, uh, like Cheap Trick or ACDC had they not played those songs a hundred times on that, on those games. And now they're like big rock. Like, I think it really kept guitar music, uh, alive in an otherwise like, um, electronic music world. I mean, it's not, it wasn't just became electronic music, but that's like a dominant force of music. But I think this really helped keep that spirit. But I don't know about that. I don't know about that though, because I mean, I played a lot of Tony Hawk pro skater and I I knew I couldn't like jump off of a building and grind down to the, to the ground. I mean, But wait, wait, I'm, I'm just. <laughs> Although I just, I feel like there should be like a use the today mode because it's, it's just not. Most of these kids are sitting on their couch. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know, they, but they know it, and they're like getting cultured by the music. Just like you're like learning skate tricks, whether or not you can physically do them or not. Or you're again, even in that game, you're learning about new songs. Especially if you're like a ten year old kid and you're first hearing like the Tony Hawk soundtrack. That's going to get you. The, it's a game. At least, at least if you if you pick up a guitar, you're not going to break your neck. <laughs> I thought this guy almost broke his neck in the freaking Barry Ballroom. Yeah, I know, but but that was air guitar. So what, we're, we're back. So if you don't pick up a guitar, you can nearly break your neck. <laughs> yeah, that's what my roommate said. I finally took off my guitar and got serious about music. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other ridiculous jobs in this track here? Even if it's not related to air guitar, am, am, am I missing something? Probably, probably somewhere along the line. How do you get paid for that 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 rock band video game? How does it work? To get like every time somebody plays, you get a commission. No, I or don't something? get. Uh... If you want some uh, like a, like video gamer uh, inside Intel, the the guy who did the voice for the Grand Theft Auto games, where they used his light, like he was the main character that you played in the early Grand Theft Auto games, the Eastern European guy, that character, I don't know, not not Ray Liotta. <laughs> well, I was to say Jimmy G from Murphy's Law did did uh, voiceovers for Grand Theft Auto. So too. did Memphis Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you knew, yeah, like half the back. I mean, there's America. probably like 500 people's voices on there. Anyway, what were you saying, Craig? So that main guy, they like he was basically like the star of that video game. And like, if you're a star of a movie, you watch a 80 minute movie and you're the star. People play this video game for hundreds of hours. This guy's like ostensibly way more famous than like a common actor, and yet he only got paid an actor day rate, which is, you know, like, I don't know, at the time it was probably $600 a day just for walking the studio, doing your job and going home. Uh, so he advocated that people would get, if they were using your likeness uh, in such a way that you would get residuals and that kind of thing. So, but that didn't happen until after I had joined. So I was just paid as a day rate actor, but it was a lot like I did that for years. So that was still pretty handsome work. Well, I heard then Ray, Ray Liotta shook, shook him down and like they, they never hired an actor again. <laughs> yeah. I actually just read the Grand Theft Auto biography. <laughs> wasn't it Kevin Spacey? No, nah, it, was, it was Ray Liotta. Oh, because Kevin Spacey was in Grand Theft Auto too, I'm sure, wasn't he? I'm sure, but he wasn't important. <laughs> I'm going to stop the conversation for one second and tell you, if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help out with some gas money to get us the next show? We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com. Now let's get back to the show. 
All right. So so at some point, you got a real job when you were 40. And from what I understand, it was one of the you were working for one of the top largest companies on earth. Is that correct? Yeah, well, eventually it eventually. led to that. Uh, so so I, how did that start? So uh, I had a kid. I Actually, I didn't have a kid, but my wife had a kid when I was like late 30s. And so when she was like one and a half, our cat, and, and at this point I was doing air guitar, which is only like half the year. And the rest of the time, I'm just doing odd job, freelance, like studio stuff. I, I had a recording studio in my basement. So I'd have like punk bands coming in, sticking up the joint. And then I'd have to have them stop because it was nap time and, and that kind of thing. And then uh, at one point, my cat needed medicine from the vet. And so I, I took it to the vet and I we couldn't afford it. Wait, wait, is this, is how, is this how you got to be the drummer of This Is My Fist? No, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. no, okay. no. <laughs> This is, this is unrelated. This actually. And Andy this, said, "If you play in my band, <laughs> <laughs> how great is she as an interviewee?" By the way, the best, wonderful, absolutely <laughs> wonderful, and she's probably the one guest that I like talk to the most through the internet now. <laughs> she she is absolutely wonderful. Okay, so your cat. So my cat needed needed medicine, and I couldn't afford it. And I was like, "This is my kid. We'd be in like that would be especially bad." And so, uh, just coincidentally, a guy that I had been doing freelance for who, um, he worked for a comedy record label and I was doing like the mastering for the comedy records. He's like, Hey, I know you're already busy. I got a lot of stuff going on, but you know, I got a, a positions opening up here at my office and he worked for, it was like a startup as well. Is this he, Alex Cole? This is not Alex Cole. This okay. is Dominic Delbeni. Okay. Uh, and so he, uh, he's like, yeah, I know you're busy, but like, I, but there's a positioning opening up in our office and I thought maybe, you know, I wanted to ask you first. And I was like, you know what? This is kind of serendipity. I should probably take this. And so I did. And so that was like an office job, which was like my first office job, which required like passwords and all that, whatever stuff, you know, <laughs> a calendar, <laughs> yeah, right. socks. And, <laughs> and so I took really? that. Even in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lived, a, I lived a, in the East Bay. Okay. And um, like, like that's less, that's more conservative in the East Bay. <laughs> Well, no, it's in the East Bay. It's a lot warmer. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and so uh, you can be sock free in the East Bay. <laughs> the wind goes the other way. San Francisco has its own weather climate. This is a small fact. If you ever come to visit San Francisco, no matter what season it is, it will get cold at five o'clock, and a lot of people don't don't know that, and that's why the biggest tour tourism scam is people selling sweatshirts at like the tour spots at five o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got one of those. I got one of those where it was like sand and then French Cisco was upside down on the other side of it. On the other side of the zipper. <laughs> like, so they, they printed it over the head hole. <laughs> there was no there was like the zipper, you know what I mean? On a sweatshirt and it said like sand and then it was like Francisco was upside down and backwards on the other side of it somehow. So the the wind smells funny on in the East Bay because no one's wearing socks, and the wind smells funny in San Francisco just cause. Yes. <laughs> Uh, because tenderloin. <laughs> and so San Francisco job. Oh, so I took that job and uh, ended up working in an office. And I did a, I did a lot of kind of weird things there. Uh, I was sort of like the fix it person for a lot of stuff. So if people had a uh, an audio, like it, we, they were doing podcasts as well as comedy records and a lot of other things. It was like a comedy aggregate where they would record this comedy all over the country and then make either sell those comedy bits to like commercial agencies so that the comics could get money or, or and then 
making other podcasts for other storytelling things or they just did a lot of like audio stuff, but I would like fix it if this audio was bad or if this computer went down to do this or I'd fly to that venue to repair their uh, video camera system or things like that. So I kind of was like a jack of all trades, uh, master of none. And so I we did that for a couple of years but I worked. That's called operations. Operations, right. <laughs> yeah, or ops. I uh, don't call it ops. Okay, I will not. <laughs> uh, what? But what happened after like two years was uh, Audible, which is a kind of like an audio book, but they've kind of branched out. But it's more or less an audio book company. For those who don't know, uh, they are owned by Amazon, but Audible bought up our little startup. And so then I went with it. That was like a year and a half after working there. So then we went to like the big leagues. We're in a like high rise in San Francisco by the bay. And then I not only did I have to have even more passwords, but I'd have like badges and all that kind of stuff. But there were snacks. So that was cool. <laughs> wait, wait hold, on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What kind of snacks you're asking? No, no, we'll get to the snacks. We definitely will get there. But when you accepted the job, and you started your first day, I was told that then you were like, oh, I got to leave for six months to do the air guitar tour. And they were <laughs> yeah. okay with it. Well, that- <laughs> <laughs> like reluctantly okay with it. That was cool because as <laughs> most of us can relate to, like you, the only job, the qualification for taking a job was if they were cool to let you, like if you didn't care about quitting, you know, six weeks, or if they were cool with you leaving for a month at the drop of a hat. Like that was the basic criteria uh, for, for having a job up till that point, right? For probably a lot of us. And um, and so, which basically means a lot of pizza places and whatnot. Um, however, for, for many years, I did have like the quintessential punk rock job, which is I worked in social care. And for anyone who's like toured Europe, like 90% of the punk rockers out there, if they have a job, it's doing social care. That's just like, the the job of the that's of what the main the, character for heavy trip is doing exactly see exactly i will I, i'm gonna make it a goal to always come back to heavy trip okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna circle about to always <laughs> so in there like i think especially in social care if you're at all like competent and like you know respectful of humanity like they, they were are happy to have you come back in and, and do that so I was, that was a cool job for but many- wait wait this is this is where the east coast and the west coast differ with their punk rock scenes there's nobody in social care here because no one is respectful <laughs> what, what, what what about you know Will? what i mean like no. like that, that's you just like all my punk friends were doing you know working in these hospitals and working in these institutions and and this and and like nobody what about will only will is the only person i know so there's one person in new york yeah but will's like the nicest person i know <laughs> He's doing it with the police. That's true. Anyway, so I, I think you just pointed something out that we haven't brought up before, that there is a very different culture in the punk scene. <laughs> but anyway, that's cool. But so, so you didn't you didn't get into the social care because of your, you know, heart caring about things. You cared about it. <laughs> All your friends were doing it. Is that is that right? Uh, no, no. It was a little. I think it was a little. All of them. I thought. I mean, it, it was a job that felt good doing, and um, and I made a lot of friends in there, and I still like uh, the people I worked with. I'm still friends with today, which is always a good sign of uh, how things went back then. But uh, but it was also a job that allowed me to leave and come back and. That's and like no invaluable. Uh, there were no snacks. snacks. However, we did get like weird stipends for other things, but that's either here or there. But uh, did you have to be a member <laughs> of the Carter's Union? To get that uh, I I did not. 
Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so the snacks got better at the Amazon subsidiary. Yeah. So jump jumping back forward to the <laughs> Amazon. So the, yeah, they, they were cool with me leaving. However, at that point, so at this point, I'm 40 now. And now I have a kid. And now I have a second kid right at the like right at the same time that we got uh, bought up by Audible. And so, which is that the irony was for 20 plus years, I'd been like trying to build a life where I could travel as much as I wanted, uh, and, and have the freedom to do that. And on the occasions that I could actually get paid to do it, or at least have the expenses paid for me. And at this point, I actually got a job where that was part of the job even. And the air guitar was part of that job. Uh, and yet at this point in my life, I suddenly was kind of having a crisis of faith where I didn't want to leave home as much anymore, if at all, uh, sometimes, which was just kind of very ironic. And that now I've built this thing where I could basically try at any point, I could be like, hey, this, uh, you know, New York's club's down, I got to go out there for a week, you know, and spend a week in New York, I, I could do that and someone would pay for it. And but I just didn't have that drive anymore. And like, you know, air guitar, I could go on tour for a few months, but I just didn't really want to do that anymore. So so I hunkered down. And I took this job and just committed to it. And that was, it was interesting being in a situation that was so formal where your skill set was like very defined and people like you were really, um, people really depended on you. I don't know if we want to jump ahead to this, but uh, I, I will like lay the groundwork for uh, for hopefully what will be a good payoff is that um in that time, I, what I did mostly was comedy related audio work. And so that was really cool just being around comedy all the time and you know, working on comedy records, flying out to do like... No, UCB is an East Coast thing most mostly. So no, we're not going to talk about that. So now I'm working at, at Amazon and I got... Uh, I'm working for Amazon, essentially. Like my checks come from Amazon or my... <laughs> Did you have to pee in a bottle? I didn't have to. You weren't forced to. <laughs> <laughs> but in what competition? <laughs> So yeah, so now now we find me in the corporate world where I now have shirts with buttons and a semi semi formal schedule. And it was a uh, it was uncomfortable and I and I found it was pretty stressful. I don't know why. I think cuz I was also paid a lot. I mean, definitely a lot compared to what I was used to being paid and I think, you know, with that comes this sense of obligation and I feel like I'm a um a loyal and competent worker. So I don't want to let people down, especially if you're part of a team. And so you end up working harder, which means you work longer hours and and uh, overcommit and all that kind of stuff. So I found that at a certain point, and my wife was very kind to point out that I was uh, very stressful and unpleasant to be around a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you, every week you have to meet with your manager and create an agenda about how he's going to like condescend to you or something like that. Right? Like I don't have ill things to say about my coworkers, my bosses. You better not because he probably listens to podcasts, right? <laughs> well, they were all... I'm just yeah. saying that's most people have a job like that, even if they don't describe it that way. Yeah, I, I don't think mine was like that. I think mine was just... And also because I was kind of the fixer. So on one hand, I was beholden to nobody. But at the same time, I was also beholden to everybody. Like I'd kind of committed a little to everybody. So I just had like... I was just spinning a lot of plates all the time. And the people I worked with... And including my bosses were all super cool. And again, like I don't work there anymore and I still keep in touch with those people. So that's again, a good kind of reads well for how my experience ultimately was with, on a person to person basis. But in general, it was just like, it was very stressful. And so on one hand, you're like, oh, I've got health insurance. 
On the other hand, I'm no fun to be around. And I was also trying to maintain the bands at that time. And so I eventually ended up dropping all, I dropped air guitar and I dropped all of my bands except for one, the love songs. And so that was, uh, I was just having to like, I kept having to trim and trim and trim things out of my life. So I didn't like that, especially after so many years of being able to like build all of those things to then kind of have to give them all up in such a relatively short period of time wasn't wasn't the best feeling. Uh, it sounds scary to me. I mean, I had a similar situation and I ended up taking a real job. And the reason I took it was for spite um, because this kind of sociopathic, Show them. the sociopathic, uh, like wannabe um, Sna- Snape from Harry Potter character. Uh, my wife or my girlfriend at the time worked under him at this other company and he got forced out and sent there an email. I was like, Hey, you know, anyone wants to work as a temp? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Basically just, to fuck with them. <laughs> and oh, uh, I yeah, that. But it worked out because, yeah, I went to work for you Snape. Went to work for he Snape? had like two skull rings on every finger on his hand. And he would type like where his hands went up and down, kind of like in a cartoon of like Dracula typed. Um, and, and yeah, so after, actually the boss there was really cool. Did he turn out to be the good guy in the end? No. Spoiler! I took his job. <laughs> like my, my, our manager came up to us and was like, oh, we need to write a, and it wasn't like a quarterly review. It was like, oh, I'm writing a review every eight weeks. It's like, could you write something? And then she came back and was like, you need to write a lot more. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then he was out the door. And, and that's my career ever since. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, but I understand the, the fear there because it's like I had, I had rules too. I was like, you know, I, I'm not going to wear shoes. You know, I don't want to take the subway. Remember, he didn't want to wear dress shoes. I could wear sneakers. I don't want dress shoes. <laughs> Bill only wears orthopedic <laughs> shoes. This is very confusing. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> But that's I, that's not anyway. So you weren't happy, uh, but there were cool people there. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of cool people. And today, I still work with and for a number of those people doing freelance stuff. You, so <laughs> it's in the past tense. What did the end of that look like? Or is that something you did sign away that you can't talk about? <laughs> it can and will talk freely about it. Our so our office was we we're bought by Audible. Audible's based in Newark, a city you might all be semi familiar with. Um, and they were they decided at some point that uh, all the things we were doing out in San Francisco could be done more efficiently if we all moved to Newark. Oh, big companies never do that. That's how everybody does it, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, it's such a destination wedding spot. I think they just knew, I guess. <laughs> and so they gave everybody in our office the option of moving to Newark, New Jersey out of San Francisco. Uh, Dickie D's. There's a really good place called Dickie D's that has a... Uh... Yes, sure. Okay, that's one. That's one reason. Uh, I think that's the end of the list. <laughs> the pipeline is closed. Uh, I'm trying to think of... Bill and I saw ELO there. I don't think they live there. <laughs> Jeff Lynn does not live in Newark, but he does play there on occasion. That's the first thing I thought. They do not live there. <laughs> All right, we're done. Newark. You did not go there. It's just a low-hanging fruit, Newark is. Um, <laughs> there, there is lots of cool things in Newark. I know that. Uh, but be that as it may, not a single person from our office took that offer. And so our office just shut down. And in the process of that, I, we got a severance. We got uh, I got a retention bonus for staying a few months. Like I really, It actually really worked out well for me because at that time I had also moved out of San Francisco and was doing my job remotely from here in Southern Oregon. And so it really set me up nicely. And this happened all right before the pandemic hit where there was no work to be done anywhere anyway. 
And so I, I got super, super lucky with how those, those things unfolded. And then, wow. That's, that's, that's almost as good as the guy at the deli across the street where, uh, right before the pandemic, uh, they signed him up to use his deli in the 50 cent drama series. Then the pandemic hit. So he's still <laughs> so getting paid I'm really to not work for his deli for over a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are nice. Wonderful. There's some, there's some nice stories in, there, in the there pandemic some here and there. That does suck, but <laughs> I feel good. When I see the deli guy. I slept outside of that deli for like an hour and a half. Anyway, so what are you doing now? So now I freelance and uh, it's all in the audio realm. So I still mix all things comedy, comedy records. And lately we've done, like there's a comedy out there in New York, uh, Nori Davis. He did a comedy record on Zoom where he had like 50 people in a Zoom call. And so I have to make sense of that, of 50 some odd tracks of audio and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then comedy records. And then we we found ways to like go back into back catalog to like monetize older records because no comic is able to go out there and tour anymore. Starting to build up again. But like, so there's, there's a whole industry. Uh, I mean, there's a thousand industries that kind of went underwater, but uh, this being one of them, but this is an industry that like the, one of my old coworkers who is now probably the closest thing I have to a boss. Now he found all these ways that he can kind of like help these comics out during this this era. And so I, I help him as much as I can. And then I do, uh, I'll do sound design for podcasts and sleep stories for like, there's this, uh, books called rebel stories for rebel girls and they're doing like sleep stories so i get to sound design it's kind of ironic where i this the story is meant to put kids to sleep so it'll be like they listen to the magical silence of space and i'm like how the hell do i sound design silence <laughs> where's the logic in that but anyway it's things like that i do a lot of stuff like that so everything from like mixing to sound designing and that's my job now so you're making asmr videos for children <laughs> <laughs> does asmr stuff is any of that non-pornographic i don't think so so I'm wondering where you're going. I mean, I think you found a new angle for it. <laughs> Still haven't heard about the snack. <laughs> My office has a snack subscription, and the, the snacks are varied every month. They come in, like, big bags. Wait, so did the snacks change when they bought Whole Foods? Did they make you only eat, like, Whole Foods brand snacks? No, but we did. It was it was stuff, like, in our company, like, our little uh, satellite office in San Francisco, which is only, like, a handful of people, um, and we, like, existed outside of the, like, closer orbit of the mothership in Newark. So we did all like we would just we kind of just do did our own thing. So the snacks were better in Newark? Oh, the snacks were pretty <laughs> awesome. In fact, if I may keep my own horn, I instituted Smoothie Wednesdays. So <laughs> I think my legacy is secure. I went to this hedge fund downtown and they had some good snacks, man. Uh, you know, in the Bay Area, there's all those tech companies. Like I, I toured Twitter. I did too. I got two free lunches. Did you go to, they have a whole floor of like a, of a large building. An entire floor is the like food. It's like a food court. There was, like six, there was like six food courts. That was the only part I was allowed to see. Oh, it's insane. And they're all like five-star restaurants. Like they're And they're like five-star chefs cooking at these things. And it's just like... That doesn't sound like snacks. Oh, they got snacks too. They did have snacks. In fact, if every time you get off an elevator, they'd have like the bulk food bins that you'd see at a grocery store with like uh, chocolate almonds and buttercups. Yeah, yeah. And it, every, on every floor at every elevator was like this like expansive hallway full of those things. I feel like the hedge fund would have it individually wrapped though, not... <laughs> no, no, they had them with the thing where you have the, 
to Scooper, you know, and you put it in like, uh, yeah, and they have all kinds of drinks and everything and, and Haagen-Dazs bars and stuff like that. All right. I want to I want to ask you about uh, Alex Cole, because he was working with you on some of the comedy stuff. Is he the guy that There's a lot of Alex Coles. <laughs> More Alex Coles than Tim Kerr's. <laughs> really? Which one? I don't know. I want to get how you met Alex Cole and and did, did he have anything to do with you getting the job? You know, working for the comedy stuff originally because he's a comedian now, right? He well, he was a comedian. Now he, side note, would probably be a great guest on this show because he has a very kind of a he's a professional now. But he went through. He, I mean, he went through the music scene and then into the comedy scene, and now he's in the like you know comedy graphic design, and he also makes trailers for movies like the Inner World. <laughs> <laughs> hits the ground like he makes those things and yeah and he's he's really good at it and he's probably so, so, so wait so how did you meet alex I, I i would love that but how did you meet alex cole i met alex cole because my band your mother was playing a show in a library basement and he while in high school came to one of those shows wearing a bathrobe his hair and a towel mutton chops that stuck out like from under the towel and floaties that a child would wear in the swimming pool and i did not know him and he did not know most of the people there yet he just decided to show up there and i felt like i should know that person and we have been friends ever since <laughs> I, I thought he i thought he came because you did a record of weird owl songs oh no no that's way late oh, okay yeah, that's he, way later. Okay. Yeah, he at that point he immediately became part of our orbit, and like he's he was clearly somebody we needed to know. And you know, like as you go through life, there are those people, and you like you cast your butterfly net and you pick them up and you never let them go. And he was definitely one of those people in my life. And so he eventually became part of the band, even though he could not sing and didn't know the words to the songs. But he was like he was the one band member who you knew would show up to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't very secret, but he was definitely a weapon. <laughs> we went to we toured the South Pacific, and as like when you're touring as an underground band and you're going overseas or going to another country, anywhere you need to use your passport or anywhere they're going to charge you inter visa fees for being an entertainer or like they're going to charge you for all the merchandise you have, you go in totally under the radar. You carry the least amount of, of equipment you can. You wear all of the merchandise you're going to try and sell and you try and like hide 10 CDs in everyone's bag or, you know, like records in your backpack. And like, you just try and do anything that, that would, uh, alert the customs agent that you're a band. So we did that. And then we're landing in the Sydney airport and he shows up to the airport with three large duffel bags. And again, we're trying to be like super discreet incognito and he's got all this luggage, but it's not like we don't have time to go home to drop it off. So we're stuck with it. We get, so we get through customs. Everything worked out great. Uh, thanks in part because Lagwagon was also on the airplane and they had way too much stuff. So we're like, well, we're not a band. It's them. They're the band. So, <laughs> Uh, and we get we get to our destination, which is uh, this guy's house from the band Nancy Vandal, and we unpack our stuff. He brought all three of those duffel bags were all costumes. <laughs> he brought one like street clothes outfit that he could wear on the airplane, and everything else was just costumes of like you know uh, velour bunny suits, and, and there's like the most ridiculous. But of course, I realize in hindsight, the most important things we brought were the things he brought in those in those duffel bags. But anyway, so like that was the kind of person and is the kind of person that he is. And so he's been in my orbit and I've been in his orbit ever since. Did, did you both work on that Brian Posner video? The Brian Pesane? Is that his name? 
the, 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 the comic, like the heavy metal comic. Yes. Yeah. No, he did, so he worked at that uh, company. He actually got me the job freelancing doing the comedy records for this uh, startup that he was working for. Which okay, okay, because I, I I was I you know I had this I saw the video and then I, I remembered. Um, Chris Gethard show played Bonnaroo and he was the headliner. We played after him at like two in the morning, but he was backstage with Bobcat Goldthwait talking about metal. And it was really weird because <laughs> Bobcat was not performing. He was just hanging out to talk about heavy metal backstage. Uh, well, Bobcat but, produced that Brian Pesain special. Okay. Okay. And Cause I, I heard that you once stumped Bobcat on music knowledge. Oh, I do remember there was something there, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> I will it's say like he's Matt as far or as anything. Like, <laughs> he he was the producer for that special and I've worked on a on a number of these specials and the the directors and the producers like it's a high stress situation and like there's been a lot of people like moved to tears because somebody's yelling or barking at somebody and there's a lot of like irrational behavior on these sets um but Bobcat was the most gracious and kind human person I've ever had in that role bar none of any well, I, I mean I mean it seems like he traveled to the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere just to hang out with Brian. That sounds I mean, pretty cool. The guy made Shakes the Clown. <laughs> yeah, he, that movie rules. Right, yeah. He, he gets like, uh, like, we would run out of time counting all the reasons he's cool and awesome and funny and interesting. But the, the fact that, like, we would be on set and you're waiting for a cue to happen and then just randomly in the headphones, everyone's earpiece, you hear, hey guys, I just want to let y'all know you're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> It was just such a moving, like, it was, it was such, like, maybe he was manipulating us. I don't know, but it just, like, he was such a, like, kind and, like, like, he genuinely was there to make sure everyone was doing their job and having a good time doing it. And then, uh, and then he and I had to work together on doing the audio, the post on that. And so I got to hang out all day and ask him questions about one crazy summer and, <laughs> and uh, cat and like i just got to like pick his brain on all like goofy stuff and he's he was just as fun and and like down to earth and super was he uh, super was awesome. he willing to talk about one crazy summer because i heard john cusack is not a fan of savage steve holland or anything involving that movie yeah did you read the curtis armstrong no i did not know there was one but now i'm gonna go order it on audible five stars in it, in it, in it. Uh, yes, the, the audiobook is even better because he reads it and he does it with like the plume. He is, he's a fascinating dude, Curtis Armstrong. And, uh, he has a whole chapter about One Crazy Summer and John Cusack's relationship to the director and, and all that. But he, he also talks very highly of Bobcat. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Bobcat was, he's, he was open to talk about anything and everything. Well, he get he gets, he gets asked a lot about his relationship with Kurt Cobain too, right? That's like a big thing. He does. Yeah. Yeah. And Robin Williams. So I, I checked out that you were on a, a Weird Al podcast this year. Yeah. And there is like the Weird Al super fans collect the Your Mother record. <laughs> is not, that correct? Not all of that is correct. It is like a highly needed, like coveted. M yeah, it's like it's like a, a medal you wear as an, a weird elf. It's like I was able to find the, your mother record. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, I mean, the the, the kind of nitty gritty of that was I had, there was a weird elf fanzine put out like a hundred thousand years ago, of which I was a subscriber, and <laughs> I collected all of them, and except for the very first issue. And I decided when I moved here, where I live now, I was going to sell them because I wanted somebody who would read them. I wanted them to be out in the world. And so I just chose eBay because it's uh, whoever buys it on eBay is obviously going to, they're not like a, a collector of autographs. They're like, they want to know about these weird Al fanzines. I figured it'd be a real fan who got it. And so the guy bought it and, and, I was like, okay, if he's obviously a real fan, I'll send him one of these. Your mother records, I got a few left. I'll send him one. And he wrote back just like, I got it already. 
send me this. Do you, uh, do you realize how like big this is in the weird out world? And, he was like, Super. and I, I didn't know. I'm, I was selling them for five bucks, you know, <laughs> I didn't realize that they're catching pretty pennies on eBay. And so, so yeah, that, that, uh, that earned me a new friendship with, uh, with those guys who do the podcast. And, and it was cool because I got to contribute again to a community, which I really adore, which is the weird owl fan community. So you were selling those fancy. So Mikey Erg is still a bigger weird owl fan than you are because he wouldn't sell it. He would not sell them. No, I don't think so. Who, who did it? Actually, it was a fanzine in a, like a collective sense. And like these two women, were oh, okay. group, but people, would, I mean, it was like fanzine fanzine. We're like, if he, if weird owl was on jeopardy and the little clip and TV guide mentioned his name as being on jeopardy tonight at seven 30, they would cut that out and put that in the zine like that's the kind of zine it was well his wheel of fortune episode's pretty awesome yeah yeah it's on my youtube channel uh, <laughs> i was saying like we should like secretly start a ben casey fanzine so in like 30 years the bug out Society records will be worth a lot of money <laughs> Yeah, so Alex Cole did the art for that Weird Al record, if we can keep him in the conversation. And yes, well, that, I, that's why I thought that he, you know, he met you What's through with the that? Weird Al connection, but no. No, yeah. that was an immediate It's bond. just the weird part, not the <laughs> yeah. Weird Al part. <laughs> Are, are there like other things that you are, you're really a fan of, like Weird Al, that like aren't typical? No, I don't think so. I think it's I think I'm known as the Weird Al guy. Although people in my uh, my in laws pointed out, like I think it's really funny, Craig, that farts are your thing. <laughs> Wait, so I have to ask because I because I've been to I've been to quite a few Weird Al shows because I dated a girl that that Bill knows very well that was a huge Weird Al fan, and I swear to God, every show was exactly the same, like the same set list. Not to a Weird Al fan it isn't <laughs> every hardcore band sounds the same to someone are there variations it, i mean like i just remember him having like <laughs> a really bad comic open for him every time that would usually like just like <laughs> tell horrible hacky jokes and then he would come out and he would do like the same set in the same order maybe it was just like the tours that i said i don't know i just feel like there should have been more variation every tour was was roughly similar within that tour like you'd have a because it the whole his thing is it's a multimedia ex experience there's never it doesn't stop there's no like in between song unless that was like okay here we're going to banter for a little bit because we're going to tune and i'm going to introduce a banter or something but like there's always videos going there's costume changes and while there's costume changes there's something else going on like you you can't like it's very hard to riff in a in a situation like that or to be off the cuff because there's so many moving parts that they have to keep together so like if you go to a tour if you go to multiple shows on the same tour they're probably going to be pretty similar but every tour was different I and mean, he has some staples that he keep in there and and whatnot but like any rock band that's been around for 30 plus years but yeah that that would ex explain why it might seem like kind of the same show do you think that there's a larger percentage of rat tails in pro wrestling matches or Weird Al shows? Because I saw a lot of rat tails. I, Every time I went to see Weird Al, there was a lot of rat tails. Now, keep in mind, this was like late 90s, like mid to late 90s. Okay. I, yeah, I, I feel like if Air Guitar wasn't in the 2000s, there would have been even more rat tails. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, and that's a long time ago. That's like 25 years ago. I forget about these things. I forget how long ago that was. <laughs> well, the guys from Sick of It All still had one in like 2008. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then his name also Craig. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they let me be in their book. <laughs> I did not say that though. I saw there was an uh, I saw there was a Bug Out Society flyer posted on the ABC No Rio book Instagram page today. It was the SFA versus uh, versus Bug Out Society flyer. Well, that's the first. That's the first show. So I was told that you have a lot of skills in frugality. Like you'd make Leona Helmsley do a double take. Damn. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> so is that just is that part of your fear of getting a regular job or is it just because you're like part German? Both. Can I be? <laughs> yeah, yeah of I, I mean, that's one of the ways you get to do more things if you're kind of frugal. That's that's how I did it. I'm thinking now that like some people get a richer experience, no pun intended, by, you know, maybe having money to spend. Beating a maid. <laughs> That's a good question. I think I, I felt like I got to do more if I was thrifty along the way. Um, whether that meant like, okay, I don't spend all my money on this trip. I split it up and I fly coach the whole way or take a bus. And then I uh, have another trip lined up afterwards. So I don't have to get a job in between, you know, things like that. Um, also, lots of times I just didn't have money. <laughs> it's not, it's not <laughs> making money. So, and I didn't have the money to spend. Um, I mean, uh, and then there's people like Devin who we went on a two month world tour, like world tour being like out of the States where you have to fly, it's all airplanes. And he brought a Ziploc baggie full of coins. <laughs> that was the only money he... I mean, I mean Dev, Devin like had that huge apartment and he moved himself into the closet. The too, closet. So. And not on the floor of the closet because there was no longer a floor of the closet. Yes, it was a... Uh... It was a bunk bed without a bottom. <laughs> yeah, it was just a bunch of boxes and he lay his uh, sleeping bag on top of it. <laughs> yeah, so I think I was just used to that so you, kind of living. Yeah, you, you, you learn from the best too. <laughs> I'm surprised no one's written a book about, like, about that kind of touring and that kind of living. I don't feel like there is one that I can think of. I don't think any other band except All You Can Eat did what they did, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, does anyone did that many continents that many times? Conquest for Death. Without, without a budget. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was definitely, I mean, yeah, we were booking tours by fax and like snail mail. And that was, those, those were. All those boxes were full of letters. Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Devin, Devin's closet was big. He had like 3,000 correspondences. He's, that's, that's how he did it. I mean, I, I, oh, he was my gateway to like the lifestyle I lead, led for so many years. And I will always be grateful for him opening up my world like that. Um, but he also had no money and showed that you could get by without money, whether that was because you just learned how to live frugally or you just had very generous friends. I don't know. But probably a little, a little bit, bit of both, just like the German part. <laughs> <laughs> So do you have any good tips for people on like how to how to prioritize your experiences over your food or heat <laughs> comfort? No, I mean I it it was never something I thought of until other people start pointing it out or start <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing when everybody around you is broke, but then when you start being the only broke one, you start having to like reevaluate <laughs> what, what <it> that <laughs> makes you that way. And um, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't regret these choices, but um, you would, you wouldn't recommend them to others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I attained this uh, lifestyle organically. <laughs> I think if somebody tried to like suddenly try to live that lifestyle, it might be a little more challenging. <laughs> I do have uh, one thread that sort of tied a few of these jobs together. I personally feel like it really defined who I was as a person, both professionally and personally. And that was when, so the guy who brought me on board at that startup, when I turned 40, his name is Dominic. And then then we both ended up uh, shuttling over to Audible. And then he quit because of um, he wasn't being respected there, and I, which was very true. And so, and I now do freelance work for him, but I've basically been working for him for over 10 years doing work for him, where he's like produced and, and executive produced a lot of these projects. And so I've been working very close with him for a long time and through a lot of iterations of like, you know, professionalism. But he, one of the things that we had worked on was a Scalar Brothers special. 
and Sky Brothers are twin comics. And we traveled out to Chicago and recorded a special for them. And so there's two of them on stage. That's just file that away. So anyway, that, that was like maybe, I don't know, five, six years ago. And a few months ago, Dominic calls me up and he's very earnestly asking, he's like, I got a question to ask you. And uh, I don't know if I'll even believe your answer. And I don't know if you're going to tell me the truth or not, but it doesn't matter because I don't know if I'm going to believe it. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty heady way to start a conversation. <laughs> he says, on the Scalar Brothers special, were you adding fart noises? <laughs> and I thought about it, like, you know, all sorts of things hit you, hit me at that point. And I was like, first off, no, but why would he believe me? <laughs> I, I hope I've leading up to this point where somebody would very honestly ask if I would do something like that. So there's one. And then two, fuck, why didn't I do that? <laughs> And then three, why haven't I been doing that all along? That's like a, a great mark if ever there was one. So I still don't know if he believes me. But ultimately, what, ha what had actually happened was there's two comics. So while one of them is delivering lines, the other was walking. And so it created like this like stage noise, the wood, his feet on the stage, which was different from like a single comic where they walk and talk and you don't notice those. But so it sounded like fart noises. So it was like a legitimate question on all angles. But uh, I really felt that that... Well, uh, what would happen if he said yes? I, I had nothing. I, I think... <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> moving forward, well, he would have been like, all right, so on this record, I, we can't have fart noises on this record. That's a great working relationship. Yeah, exactly. Stick with that. Very much. And I feel like that's, that's where I am now is like, I work with a guy who can very honestly ask me that and won't be upset if like he hears the worst possible answer. Yeah. It's like uh, when I worked at the wedding video place, I accidentally, uh, I didn't accidentally put a post-it note that said fat ass uh, Leibowitz on the tape but i did accidentally drop it into the envelope and i mailed it to them and uh they brought us a small claims court and the 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 groom the fat guy like had it blown up <laughs> in court to like four <laughs> yeah five feet by five feet and he's like this is what was you know and i have to say my, my boss got a good laugh out of it and, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's out of a few thousand bucks when, uh, <laughs> when i worked at tower records we had um they put out a magazine every every month called pulse magazine and it'd have different things on it and each issue we would get a giant poster of that issue cover to to hang in the window of the front of the store and um we had for some reason the desk like the counter area had a giant hole in it that faced where the where the customers would be like waiting online to to pay for things and then like underneath it was just a cabinet on our side like where you would keep like old receipt tape or new receipt tape and like you know all this stuff or whatever so we would put the poster of whatever that month's issue was over the hole so no one could see into the cabinet from the customer side and one month it was the cover of the magazine was just a big close up picture of Moby's head and my friend Matt cut the mouth out of it and we called it screaming Moby hole and he would go into the cabinet and he would scream at customers w through the mouth and <laughs> one woman got so mad about it because he was like yelling come give Moby a kiss and uh and she's like she came up to me and she goes I want to speak to your manager and I just looked at the cabinet and pointed to it because he was the manager <laughs> That was the greatest job well, I ever had. I, I, well, Craig, <laughs> I talked to Dominic, and he, you know, he said 
you know, years and years ago, he was like, well, Craig was such a great guy, but he's also a great commodity. So you want to hang on to him. And it sounded like you guys like had the, had, you did the right thing, both of you, and ended up in the right place. That is very, very wonderful to hear. So it's good. I mean, it, this, these things happen. If you're working a shitty job, like it's not going to, you don't have to stay there forever. And it, 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 it's going to work out if you just can just make the right relationships. Yeah. Fi- find where that value is and chase that value. That's right. <laughs> also, you kind of got to do a good job. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> so what haven't you done that you want to do still, Craig? Well, my friends wanted to be 80 and have a death metal band just to just for the visual aspect. So maybe that. Otherwise, that's almost that's almost about to happen yeah. naturally. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely be looking 80. How old are those uh, Sodom guys? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, they were like 12 when I bought the record. So. <laughs> There's a lot of old metal heads out there. Can you hook us up with any like famous metal people? Have you have, have I mean, you're in the Bay Area. You're obviously into it. Like, no, I'm saying, is there. Do they have good jobs? No, I, I want to talk to Dan Spitz. And I, I was told he's it's impossible to get to Dan Spitz. And he's a he, watchmaker oh, by you? now. Yeah, he's I don't in know like where Brooklyn he is right now. <laughs> or Queens. He's in Brooklyn, but I don't know anyone who has a connection to him. I think you didn't. I don't know. This is, doesn't he fix watches yes. high? He, yeah. Owns his own yes, watchmaking he, company. He actually doesn't play music anymore. He quit Anthrax to make watches full time, and he doesn't talk to anybody anymore. We can ask Scotty. Ian. <laughs> or I, mean, I have a feeling he has. I feel. I had a feeling he had a falling out with Scotty. Ian. I think he did. I, I. I think there was that. That was the like. If Joey Belladonna can come back and he doesn't, that means there is some bad blood. Well, I was looking through our pandemic text messages, and for some reason, Dan Loker's in our trailer, and you were immediately recognized them. And I was and I, and I was like, I wonder what he does. And you were like, Oh, he made a he made a, a SOD video this week on YouTube. <laughs> so I just feel like you're up on these things. Maybe that's YouTube's algorithm. That- <laughs> <laughs> so, but besides besides playing death metal when you're 80, is there anything else like like what if if like a weird owl video uh, audio making opportunity came? Would that be like, Oh wow, I made it? Well, I have worked with Weird Owl on a we were both voiceover actors for a production. So I could check that list that, that up. Oh shit. <laughs> did you have like a special heartfelt moment with him? I did not. It wasn't uh, like we did not share burritos or anything, but on paper I can still like, that's right. You can still check it off. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say I was, you go back to when I was quitting wedding videos and getting a job for spite at a $300 million company. What advice would you give me to survive? I think if you leave something that's sort of that, cush, comfortable, secure thing. Either you're comfortable in what your abilities are for the next step or the situation you're in is so bad that it's actually a good thing to get out of it. So either way, it's a win to move on. That's it, kids. The gig is up. The cops are here and your mom is going jails, hospitals, and all your friends' houses wondering where you've been. Tune in next week for another fascinating, mesmerizing, and absolutely unmissable episode. And be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at Killed by Desk. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon. And if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show? We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com. 